You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. Catch myself on Twitter at Walker Mail, Doug at Doug Branson NBA, and Nada at Nada the Scribe. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, MLB, and fantasy sports. The Charlotte Hornets worked out a couple potential lottery picks over the weekend, so we'll get into that in just a moment to help us dissect the game of Lonnie Walker, the guard out of Miami, the wing out of Miami. They, they worked out on Sunday. Evan Hadrick will join us. Evan Hadrick of SB Nation, more of State of the U, will join us, and he'll come in on in just a few minutes. Game two in the NBA Finals is done and over with, so plenty on that series later on in the show. And also, we'll announce a couple Charlotte-based topics that will take 30 days to complete. So we'll announce that later on in the show today as well. Project we'll all be working on a little bit. That'll be fun. We'll reveal one each day and excited about that one. That'll start up next week. We'll announce that later on in the show as well. So stick around so you can hear that announcement. But again, we'll go to the workouts that the Charlotte Hornets hosted a uh, couple of, again, potential lottery picks over the weekend. Theo Pinson, a North Carolina guy, of course, mentioned there. I'm sure everyone knows a little bit better than some of the other guys they worked out. And we talked about Mikhail Bridges last show and how much I love him. You know, the, the only thing I think different that I would have to say after his workout is Rick Bennell's article mentions how much he stood out to him as well. Just not even already having an opinion on Mikhail Bridges. Rick mentioned how good of a shooter he was compared his body earlier today on the wake up call to Tracy McGrady, which you kind of see like a long guy, like a weird, you know, an interesting comparison. And I'm not hating it. I actually like that comparison. 43 and a half percent from beyond the arc last year in college. And he mentioned that in the workouts, obviously you are training these guys to be able to take that next step out with a deeper three-point shot, that that did not affect him in workouts, that he was crazy comfortable shooting. Impressed Rick Bennell, who got to watch a little bit, but also the maturity, he said, was a big point in, in watching Mikhail Bridges. Of course, a championship, uh, two-time champion with the Villanova Wildcats. Mm-hmm. If you liked Mikhail Bridges like I did already in that workout with the Charlotte Hornets, you can't leave that one but with anything other than a positive attitude on him. Yeah, th- that is one thing, though. And the one thing that I know we talked about earlier was – he, it was possible that he would not be there. He would probably right. be gone by Philly. <laughs> yeah, and and, and he's and probably it, gone. I bet my yeah. money on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like he's a fit there in Philly where they need a wing that can shoot. And considering the skill set that Philly needs, especially with Marco Bellinelli um, being a free agent, you still have Ilyasova. That's a question mark. Covington's shooting is up and down. Half well, and JJ's down. free agent. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Right now, that's a good point. I mean, he makes perfect sense in Philly, and I've seen him go top 10. So again, we've talked about Mikhail a lot. I can't help it. I, I think that would be a guy, if he's there, I would love. But um, and it doesn't look like he will be. Just a, an overall good player. It seems like everybody's on that bandwagon. But Lonnie Walker, a guy that we'll probably focus on more a little bit here today than we have in the past few episodes. Lonnie Walker, a Miami wing, just played one year with the Hurricanes. Again, we'll hope to have Evan Hadrick on here, a state of the U SB Nation here shortly, and uh, we'll ha- we'll talk about Lonnie Walker. So is he on? Well, we'll tap. We'll bring him. All right, Evan. Sorry, Evan. We appreciate it, man. We'll go to him now to talk about Lonnie Walker again, the uh, one-year player for the Miami Hurricanes. Evan, how are you doing today, man? 
I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? And we're doing well, Evan. Thanks again. Again, this is Evan Hadrick, SB Nation State of the U contributor. So we appreciate having him on to help discuss Lonnie Walker, again, a guy who did work out for the Hornets over the weekend. Now, Evan, I'll tell you a debate that we all kind of got into a little bit. Just the, the first thing that we started talking about with Lonnie, and it's the height. So in Charlotte, we're a little sensitive to that right now because Malik Monk is only 6'3", not a very good defender. And we know Lonnie Walker is long. We know his length is there. We know the potential for defense is there as well. But again, coming in at the combine at about six four, is the size that is the size something that should be concerning us, or do you think we should overlook that? I really think you should overlook it, just because. Yes, he's six four, but you have to look at the body type as well. He plays much bigger than his height would show, and not just the arm length, but he's a solid guy. He didn't look like a guy coming straight out of high school. He was cut pretty well, and he's not getting moved around a lot down low. Uh, I don't know how well he would hold up if somebody switches on him in the league, but as far as in college, he would hold his own with anybody. So I think that size is kind of a moot point, especially with athleticism as well. He's getting up there with anybody. Um, He didn't really struggle rebounding. It was more just an effort kind of thing. So I definitely don't think that size is an issue with him. What about on the other side of the court, uh, Evan, when you talk about his defensive capabilities? Again, what we'll talk about Malik Monk, who was drafted here, just really struggled at that mm-hmm. end. What What is Lonnie's defensive ceiling in this league? I think he could be an elite defender. Uh, he, he already has the commitment to it on that end. And he he was a lot more consistent defensively than he was offensively. You would see him kind of disappear on the offensive end for minutes at a time, but on defense, he was almost always making plays. Uh, you didn't really see him out of position as much. I know, like, watching the finals right now, you're constantly seeing Warriors guys with wide-open layups, and I was surprised to see that more in the NBA finals than I did watching my end this year. <laughs> All right, Evan, uh, one big thing about transitioning from the college game to the pro game is the jump shot. Now, I know Lonnie Walker's hit around 40% from college three. Do you think that jumper will translate going forward? I think it will. Uh, I see him starting off as somewhat of a streaky shooter. Uh, hopefully he can get a little more consistent. Uh, I know he did, an art, he did an interview a week or two ago, and they asked him who his uh, model player was, and it was Ray Allen. He definitely has the mindset of, getting into that consistent jumper that he can kind of pull from anywhere at any point. He's great off the ball, uh, running around screens and everything. Uh, they even asked him to create a little bit for himself. So the jumper will come. I don't know if it'll be as reliable the first year in getting acclimated to the speed of the game and everything, but it's definitely there and it's not that far off. Evan, the one thing that jumps out to me about his game is how explosive he is going to the basket, how quickly he can get the motor going and, and get to the rim. Uh, but his his overall field goal percentage was sort of low for a guard right there in the 40 to 41% range. So yeah. what happened when he got to the rim? What were the issues there finishing uh, those baskets? A lot of the times you would, you would see an elite level of finishing. Uh, I just think about the end of that Louisville game when – he tied it up with two seconds left and people were comparing this layup where he just hung in the air to when Michael Jordan did in in the finals at one point. Uh, But a lot of the shot selection was poor for Lonnie Walker. Uh, It kind of started off with the year of having uh, 
kind of an alpha dog on the team and Bruce Brown, who was a guy who some people are still looking at him possibly going first round, even though he had a somewhat of an off year. Uh, but a lot of the offense is going through him to start. So he, he spent a lot of time finding his way. Uh, he definitely shot a lot better in the second half of the season when Bruce Brown was gone. But a lot of it was just, they kind of would sit him in the corners and give him the ball late in the shot clock. And he's just trying to force something. There's a lot of that. So that definitely didn't help his, uh, his shot selection is field goal percentage, but a lot of it is also being young and not really being seasoned coming from high school where you have athleticism, do whatever you want, then going straight to the ACC. So I, I don't, I'm not super concerned with his shot selection, especially him projecting at the three and D and not really being asked to create his own shot a lot going into the league. Evan Hadrick, SB Nation, State of the U. And Evan, that's exactly where I was going to lead into is when you look at Miami last year. I know Bruce Brown was supposed to be the guy for them that was going to be one of the better ACC players, and then he does get hurt. And then I, I was going to ask you how that did affect Lonnie Walker's game. Did you have a problem with the way Larinaga used Lonnie or the way he used that team? Because he you know, did get a six seed in the NCAA tournament before losing to Loyola Chicago. But it seems like they've got some pretty decent talent with that roster. Uh, the expectations are definitely a lot higher going into the season than a six seed and getting bounced in the first round. Like they, they were ranked 13th in the country going in. Uh, they still finished third in the ACC. So it was a pleasant surprise. It really didn't feel like they did that well. Uh, a lot of it, I did have some concerns with how they used them in the beginning of the season. But once Bruce Brown left and they kind of were forced into a corner of, we need this guy that we can go to and Lonnie's the most talented guy on this team right now. And they kind of just let him work it out by default. And you saw him have the ability to take over a few of those games and hit shots in pressure situations like in Boston college, he had a big three to win that game for him. So All right. they worked it out towards the end of the season, but he also can disappear from time to time too, which doesn't help, uh, game planning firm that well all right evan you just mentioned that he does disappear from time to time what other things do you possibly see him struggling with at the next level uh he also admitted that one of his weaknesses was ball handling uh you don't really that doesn't really jump out at you when you watch him but thinking about creating his own shot and how athletic he is and getting to the basket uh a lot of it was needing to have a lane before he gets the ball. He's not breaking a lot of defenders off on the dribble, at least to get to the basket. He could get shots off on the outside, but uh, he may struggle with that going into the league. But we've seen other players that have been drafted lower that really figured that out rather quickly. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is one that you think of. I think he got drafted later on in the first round, and, still manage to do guys who get you 24 points a night. Uh, I've seen comparisons to Jalen Brown. Uh, he's not a guy that has crazy handles, but he's found ways to be savvy and get to the rim. So I, I think there there is a lot of variance in where he could end up in his first year, but the ball handling is definitely something he has to work on. Um, and then just staying active on the offensive end, even when they're not directly feeding him the ball and making sure he's still looking for his shot. 
All right, that was Evan Hadrick of SB Nation, State of the U. You could check his workout again, SB Nation. Then you just go to State of the U where he covered Lonnie Walker. He covers Miami Hurricanes basketball. Again, a great interview with us trying to dis- dissect the game of the workout member of the Charlotte Hornets this past weekend, Lonnie Walker. Evan, thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, again, once again, Evan Hadrick joining us here to discuss Lonnie Walker, the potential lottery pick. If you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together, consider joining our Patreon community for as little as $1 a month. You can help us keep making the Daily Hornets content that you've come to trust. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. There's a link in the description of this episode. Get double entries into our contest and access to content before anyone else. Patreon.com slash LOH. Every dollar goes to making this the best Hornets talk in all all of Charlotte. Final stock on the other side of the break in our 30-day project. That announcement coming up next on the podcast. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, Funny. did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay. <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Good start about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I see a man crush developing right in front of our eyes. It's ugly. It's very ugly right Doug now. Doug falling hard. Further, that Mr. Lonnie Walker. Thanks to Evan Hadrick coming on with us to discuss that prospect. Again, working out with the Hornets over the weekend. And he made a pretty a pretty big comparison that every Charlotte Hornets fan, I'm sure, grasped, grasped the phone to and looked at it to make sure. What, did he just say that? That's right. Donovan Mitchell was a comparison that Evan Hadrick had to Lonnie Walker with some of the similar stats coming out of college as what Donovan did coming out of Louisville. So, and let me say, I ahead, see Doug. it. Take I see it. I totally oh, see it. I, I think he has uh, he has that size. He has the drive. Uh, he has the ability to finish in transition. He has that explosiveness that we've seen from Donovan Mitchell here in his rookie season, the ability to get to the basket and finish creatively. That's what I love about Lonnie is how creative he is at finishing the basketball. Yes, his handles are, are not anywhere near where Donovan's uh, were when he when he came into the league. But at the same time, uh, this is going to be an offense that is going to devote itself now here in Charlotte to transition, to getting up and down quickly. And, and I think Lonnie can thrive in that. Here's where I kind of disagree with you and Evan. The problem is with that kind of handle, it's going to take a minute because the one big thing with a guy like, let's say Harrison Barnes, superior athlete, good shooter, where he struggles in transition and where it took him a long time was that handle. And if you can't have that handle in from day one to get to your spot and spot up and shoot, it's going to be an issue for you. MKG has similar issues with the handle. If the handle is going to be what separates him on top of what Evan also said, which is he tends to defer and and defer and disappear at times. That's not necessarily a good combo that you want at 11. Here's the bottom line, Nada, is that he is impressing people in, in individual workouts, in team workouts, in uh, at the combine, and he's moving up the board. And I was I was at his workout here in Charlotte, and I asked him, like, why are, are people all of a sudden talking about him in the 10 to 15 range as, a, as opposed to the 15 to 20 range? And uh, this is what he had to say about that. Uh, 
Jesus. You are Come listening. On. Did he play that for you? Did he have a saxophone on him? He did. Or a little now. trumpet? Is that what that is? I got to see. This is how excited brought I that out of his pocket. Talented. Yeah, like, very, very versatile wing. He's got very me, versatile wing. He's got, he's got my heart a flutter and my fingers yeah. a flutter as yeah, well. Much like Vince Carter coming in. A little jazz flood. Okay, I like it. All right, here he is. I'm just seeing that my weaknesses are slowly becoming my strengths. You know, left hand, ball handling, shooting, more consistent. So uh, just that overall aspect offensively and also, you know, my defensive ability that I've been told numerous of times kind of gives me that upper ed- edge on the lottery draft. So it's his defense as well. Like, forget his ball handle. Let's talk about his defense. He's a two-way player. He's athletic. That's what the Hornets need. He's a one-way player with a po- with a possible. If you played spades, you got to count that. Again, what are his guaranteed <laughs> Like, his defense is like Not a, what, is a queen reason. of diamonds? Like, is that what that is? What, what's, what's his defense? His, like, def- what? his defense is like the tennis spades. Yeah. Defense is a ten of spades. Okay, the so offense, a little bit higher. All right, I mean, the offense I want to put as a king of diamonds. Like it's good, to, good enough to possibly get you a book. It's not necessarily well. You count guaranteed. it as a book, right? I mean, you count. No, a king I'm not of diamonds. counting his offense as a book. I'm well, counting well, you don't defense. count a king of diamonds as a book. Well, yeah, it might. You don't know if someone. It so might get go. cut. It you, might get cut. You don't, you don't count queens, though, right? No, no, you absolutely can't count not. queens. All right, no. you guys are count. a bunch of damn jokers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're damn right we are. I'm the big joker, right? No, wait. What's the little joker? Is the big one right? Like little joker has the most. No, it's big joker most big, value. Yeah, big joker's right. got the most value. So we'll take it. Thank you very much, Doug. We are a couple of jokers. So when you look at this, like I, I'm with you though. Like I, on, I'll, I'll hedge with both of you guys, right? Because I am. I'm not a guy that has a crazy opinion on him. If he were to come to the Charlotte Hornets at number eleven, I'd be cool with it. I think the handles are a problem that I have when you look at his ability to create because it is vastly different. The defense could be there, sure, but at number 11, it, it just goes to the philosophy at what you want at number 11. Do you want a guy that's going to come in and contribute? And that's kind of the scare that a lot of people have with Mikhail Bridges, right? As somebody that how much of a ceiling does he have? So if you want to have a ceiling, you look at those handles and think maybe I think you have to have those in order to be a really good offensive player, like more so than just a three and D type of guy. But if you're cool with that, if you want somebody to come in and contribute right away, and at least you know his floor is going to be pretty good and be athletic and contribute on both sides, then maybe that's what you do. I would rather take a little bit more of a shot at 11. That's something I would look at more. I'll tell you that I think Lonnie has that level of that same Donovan Mitchell level of confidence that could allow him to to come in very early and and want possessions and want that that pressure where I don't I don't know if I could say the same thing about Mikael Bridges. The one thing I would ask you and this is what I'd ask every Hornets fan, are you trying to overcompensate on missing on Mitchell last year and reaching for a guy like Lonnie Walker, who's got very similar similar measurables. And the one thing I would say to you is, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I thought <laughs> so. <laughs> Great rebuttal by Doug. <laughs> no, I, I and, and why and who cares? Almost to the point, right? Like I get you on that. Like you don't want to reach for him, but if you do see, why not use Donovan Mitchell as a tool that as a guy who did come out of college, who a lot of things scared you about his ability to translate to the NBA, at least it shows you that he's not doomed. And I'm with you on that. I'm with you on not reaching for him because you're trying to overcompensate. But it does show you that here is an example, as soon as last year, that shows you Lonnie Walker is not doomed, at least, to make that jump. 35% from three, not exactly the greatest in the world, but shows that he's capable. Can you take that next step out and still expect him to shoot around that area or even improve with the athletic frame that he has? 
There's a lot to like. There's a couple things to dislike. And it's not a reach. I mean, right now, he's being projected in the 10 to 20 range. It wouldn't be a reach. It would be as a team saying, hey, we like this guy the most. We're going to have one of the first opportunities opportunities to take a player like this. Let's do it. Which is one of the things that I feel feeds into Doug's mantra about this whole draft as well, which the biggest argument that Doug has elaborated to us is not allowing a guy to fall to us and then snatching him up. Like that's not the thing that you want from a from the Hornets this year. You want to see somebody. You want to feel like the Hornets are more confident in all the other than all the other teams. And seeing that guy is good, I want to grab him. And then everybody else is thinking, wait, that seems like a reach. Rather than a Noah Vonleh, rather than a Malik Monk or a Michael Porter Jr. falling. I, I, I feel that's like the mantra of Doug. Brunson I want them to take the right kind of chance, not the wrong kind of chance. Because taking a player that falls five or six spots is taking a risk. Because you're risking, like, why did this guy fall? I would rather them take the risk of, hey, let's let's grab a player that may be one or two spots a reach, but at the same, is not necessarily the consensus pick at eleven, but is a player that we really liked. And I'll tell you another thing too: they took a long look at Lonnie Walker, and they put this guy through the ringer. And just you know, they're putting a lot of these players through the ringer right now, trying to figure out, you know, putting them through a lot of conditioning and seeing if they can still knock down shots. Uh, but uh, I, I think just based on the, the amount of time that they looked at Lonnie Walker the other day, I really feel like they're, he's one of the players that's, that's on their radar. Don't disagree with you. I just wonder slash worry, at what point do we start not gambling on talent? And I'd rather gamble on talent when it comes to draft picks than necessarily say we'll stick to our board and there's got to be a reason he when falls. Is the la- when is the last time that they – really took a big swing in the in the draft and this, this I, would I would argue monk no because he fell he was projected several spots higher i'm saying when is the last time that they took any kind of reach it's been a while yeah i'm trying biz. to think do you go back biz biz was so long ago too is there nobody in between like do you do you take a Maybe swing on mkg like. offensive game i mean did you take a swing on that taking him ahead of bradley i think Beal? he was consensus too at the time i think he was consensus too i think everybody knew that that jumper was going to take forever and yeah. it's still going on, which yeah. is half the problem. Which means we're done, right? Yeah. I mean, which means we're done with it. I want this to feed into one conversation real quickly before we go to break. This does feed into that Michael Porter Jr. Because that seems to be the one guy that could fall that has the talent, right? Like Malik Monk had a ton of talent. It looked like he was not going to be there at number 11. Then you start to see, well, maybe Frank Nidalekina goes to the Knicks rather than Malik Monk. Maybe you see Zach Collins go to Portland before he'd fall to Charlotte. Maybe you see him start to fall. Eventually, he did. Michael Porter Jr., a lot in that same sense, seems to be the guy, because of his medical, that might just fall outside of the top five after really being the number one overall prospect last season before Bagley reclassified. So is Michael Porter Jr., is that a guy that you think they have to take the chance on or would like to see take a chance on if he does fall at number 11? Or do you think, you know what, if he falls that far, there's something already wrong with him and I'm cool? Now, I'm totally, again, Porter is my number one guy. Like, if I'm going to order my draft... Like, realistic options. Like, realistic options. Porter's number one. Carter's number two if if he falls. After that, I'd probably go Gilgis Alexander. And after that, probably Lonnie Walker in terms of... Well, Bridges before Walker, right? It seems like I got that sense from you. You're not feeling Bridges? I don't think he's... I I don't think he lead... I don't think he gets past seven. Oh, you don't think he's realistic is what you're thinking. Exactly. I don't think he's going seven. And and we talked about this pre-show. Yeah. I think there are going to be a lot more wings than people think that go. And I think a guy like McCall Bridges doesn't get past Chicago and at worst doesn't get past Philly. I don't 
think there are going to be that many bigs that get drafted in that top 10. Where a guy like Porter, if the back does scare you, that kind of talent, that kind of explosiveness, I don't think you can pass that up at 6'10 at all. I have fallen to this a couple of times now where I have been duped by my love for Noah Vonley when he was there. I thought it was awesome. I loved the pick. I thought it would work well with Al Jefferson because one thing that they were that I, I always buy into is if you have a lot of talent and you have a big motor. And I was ready to go in on Noah Vonley. With Malik Monk, I thought he was special enough that we haven't seen that kind of guy drafted here before. I was all in on Malik Monk. He was my favorite player to watch in all of college basketball. The dude would put out some crazy stupid games on offense. I was cool with that. I feel like Perhaps I'm just being naive, and I'm willing to admit that, but I would feel very hard to pass on Michael Porter Jr. if he's there at 11, as long as the medical's cool. But then again, the medical's probably not good. If he does fall there, I it would still be hard for me to pass on. You're getting on. four years of the best. You're probably getting his best four years if you draft him. You're probably getting his best four years, and then after that, you can probably sell him off, similar to what you did for Vonley, in which you got Nick Patoon. No, Doug, knowing your answer, what's the case against Michael Porter? The case against Michael Porter is the case against anyone that would fall that far. Look, he's out here saying, I am the best player in this draft. I am healthy. If both of those things are the case, then he should not last until pick 11. And and again, the Hornets, it, it, that's outthinking yourself at that point. That's that's trying to, you, you think that it's a lot of hubris is involved in taking Michael Porter at 11 overall because it says, listen, we know something that everyone else doesn't. Yeah. And... Uh, that hasn't been the case for them so far over the past couple of years of the draft. So how about taking someone that you you are just really enthralled with and, and have a lot of, and at least in this particular situation, uh, they might have an opportunity to take someone that they can actually have some, uh, uh, have a look at. They didn't even get an opportunity to look at Monk in, in, in an individual workout last season. And, they, and I'll tell you this, they won't get an opportunity to look at Michael Porter Jr. They did get an opportunity to look at Lonnie Walker. Yeah, I was about to say, how much does that matter to you guys? That The fact that they would draft somebody that doesn't get worked out by them. Does that matter to Not you a lot? Not really, because what goes on in tape, tape can tell you a lot more than the individual workout can. The individual workout will tell you how specialized he is to what you do. But the things that he can and cannot do, tape doesn't lie about that, ever. And it well, it tells you how prepared they are. Like if they if they don't come in prepared for your workout, then that can tell you a lot about sort of their current mind state if they're not taking it very seriously. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I want. I do want to say this. I think we're giving up a little bit too early on Monk. I think Monk's still no. And, and no, you're right. I don't. I don't want to give up on Monk. I just and, and maybe I should say not being naive of falling in love with Monk out of college. I, I'm not ready to give up on him. But when you you know, you draft somebody that falls to number eleven. That you know, instead of taking a Donovan Mitchell, who was who was linked here as well. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was a guy. That's why it hurts a little bit more because it was a guy that was linked here because Monk was supposed to be gone. I get it. I get it. I'm not ready to give up on him, but we'll see what they do at that number eleventh overall pick. If they take a chance or if they let somebody fall to them, who knows? We'll see how it shapes up. All on June twenty first. We'll take another quick break. We'll talk about the NBA Finals game two last night. Golden State coming out with a two zero lead in the series now, going back to Cleveland. Also, we have an announcement over the next thirty days. It's Doug Branson, Walker Mail, not Edwards. You're listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Unless Mitch has Buzz on his lap and Buzz is sort of Santa vent- style, the, I like it. Oh yeah, or ventriloquist, you know. <laughs> well, let's how how, how much ventri- ventriloquist yeah. are we going? <laughs> I don't think anything, or I don't I don't want to go that much. Whoa, yeah, I don't want to go with ventriloquist. Let's go. I like the Santa style a little bit more. Either one is creepy. 
It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to Locked on Hornets. A lot of draft talk today. Big thanks to Evan Hadrick, of course, who joined us just a little while ago to talk about Lonnie Walker, a guy that the Hornets worked out this weekend. Also discussed Mikhail Bridges once again. Theo Pinson, a guy that got some run with the Charlotte Hornets over the weekend, a guy I think we all like, but again, not going to be there in play. At the number 11 overall pick, will be a little bit further down that draft. If the Hornets want to take a chance on him later on, then fine, but yeah, not a not a whole lot of late opportunities for them because I think they got the 55th pick too, right? And that's where the Hornets also yeah, are picking. Yeah, 55th, yep. With the Cleveland Cavaliers coming over, uh, getting that trade, getting that pick, excuse me, from them a while back. So we'll move on to the rest of the NBA, the NBA Finals again. Game two last night, Cleveland hanging around for a while, like keeping it within single digits, but never really looked to be in control of that game. Golden State never really looked to relinquish control of that game as after they got to the fourth quarter with about six minutes left, that's when they finally were able to separate. There was a swing at the end of that game where George Hill misses a corner three to try to bring it to within nine. It stays at 12. They come back on the other end. Steph Curry hits a corner three, gets fouled by Kevin Love. It goes in. Four-point play. Missed shot for Cleveland, comes back down. Kevin Durant dunks it. All of a sudden, instead of a nine-point lead, it goes to 18. Cleveland's done. Cleveland doesn't have a shot. And quite frankly, it looks like there was a hangover from game one. It looked like these guys came out. I'm not going to say that they were crazy sluggish, but maybe they were tired a little bit. You could see that LeBron was not crazy active LeBron like you saw him in game one not nearly as aggressive as you saw him in game one and it turns out Golden State is going to go to Cleveland with a 2-0 lead the the other thing and I think you mentioned it earlier LeBron's starting to look human yeah where he's starting to get to that point where you can see him visibly fatigued and pacing himself and taking his time in terms of getting to his spots now granted the man still had 20 plus points almost had a triple double last night but at the, at the same time, it's starting to become a concern of we're just going to throw all these bodies at LeBron and see what he does and see how he reacts and shut down everybody else. And if that's going to be the case, if it's just going to be LeBron and love and nobody else, this is going to be over in Cleveland, folks. Was LeBron the guy that did all the work for the group project and got really upset at, at the other members? And so then when it, it came time to present, he's like, all right, guys, go ahead. Yeah, as he should. As he should. Yeah. Oh, you you think you've done something? You think you can put your name on this project? Why don't you why don't you do the presentation? Why don't you do that? One of the million great memes from that iconic photo we got from LeBron and J.R. Smith, by the way. <laughs> that was one of them. That was one of the best. And there's a lot of those going around with LeBron James, but that was it. And I mean, you look, you did see LeBron play 44 minutes. You saw him go 10 of 20. So it's 50% effectiveness from the field. He went two of four from beyond the arc. Just, I think the aggression wasn't there as much. And a lot of that, I would think because of his fatigue, like 13 assists might be the most crazy stat with that team because it's a team that we all know the supporting cast just simply can't get it done. And he still finds a way to get 13 assists. Right. I mean, that that's that, the most telling stat. That's the most impressive stat, I should say, of anything that he was able to put up. And in if he had ball. teammates worth something, he'd have had 20 last night. Yeah. And you're probably right. I mean, if you have Kyrie, you're probably setting up Kyrie a little bit. If Kevin Love is more effective, you're probably setting Kevin Nutlove a little bit more. 
Uh, it, it's just amazing to see what he's doing. It's amazing to see that LeBron can put up a 30-point performance with 13 assists and 9 rebounds. And all of us agree. All of us agree that, you know what, LeBron doesn't look like normal LeBron because the guy's averaging 40 points a game in this postseason. And he's up there with Jerry West and Michael Jordan, past Michael Jordan, for the most 40-point games in a postseason run. And he and it calls for it, but it still doesn't take away the the respect that you should have for him to be able to do it. I it. Look, this thing's probably is going to end in Cleveland. The only reason it would go back to Oracle is if Golden State wanted a toy with them and celebrated home. And that's what it seems like, at least. It just you don't have an answer. When when LeBron plays with fifty one points and on the box score, and you still and Kevin Durant, by the way, does not play well at all in Game One. Like he's able to put up over twenty, but not effective, not physical, not aggressive, and you still lose because of a boneheaded play, but still in a position to lose. And we're seeing two things we haven't seen before with LeBron's performance in Golden State. And Golden State's just a little bit more because you have more all-NBA performers there. Yes, Steph Curry, 33 points, 9 of 17 from beyond the arc. Didn't even start the game shooting that well. But 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 it's never like the the great thing about Steph Curry is that past performance is never any indicator on future performance. You could say that for a bunch of the Warriors, though. Like Durant had, what, 26 on, what, 12 shots? Like something super efficient. Yeah, twenty six points on fourteen shots and ten of them made. Uh, unbelievable. Like and a like an effective field goal percentage of something up in the eighties, like eighty seven, eighty eight percent. Yeah, he was. Like, he was. So it's efficient. ridiculous how efficient. When you get efficient, Durant, you're not losing. Well, how about Kevin Durant also? It seemed like for the stretch in the second half, he was getting every single rebound that fell down after getting called out, and deservedly so, for not being aggressive in that regard. Seven assists for Durant, too. I don't think I've heard that mentioned at all today. No, like literally, the floor game for Kevin Durant was at his best. When the ball's moving, when Durant is being more of a conduit, I I almost want to say super Harrison Barnes, and I'm trying not to insult him in in any (laughs) manner. But when you're talking about a guy that's being a conduit, keeping the ball flowing, that was some of the best off-ball movement I saw from the Golden State Warriors last night. Back cuts, everything. Well, how about the relocation for Steph? Uh, Stupid. And Jeff Van Gundy mentioned it, too, that he's the best relocator in the game. When you give it up, you cut here, you relocate to another one, and it makes you open beyond the arc. I mean, that's how he was fouled on that Kevin Love foul that sent him to the line for a four-point play. Uh, When you see Steph getting eight assists, Durant getting seven assists, Green getting seven assists, that's insane to have your starting five have what? I mean, that many between three of them, it's it's impressive. It's impressive to see. His relocations are methodical. They are almost robotic in how precise they are. It looks like he's ballroom dancing, like every step has a purpose to get him to exactly where he wants to be on the floor. Uh, What I'm saying is uh, he is a Westworld host. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just the efficiency. And I mean, we didn't even talk about that moonshot that he hit in the fourth that basically ended the game. Like literally – a stupid fadeaway to kill with like one second on the clock, and then he just not nails it all nylon, game over. And then on top of that, that four point play you're talking about. Steph has to come out with a monumentally bad performance in game three and be, you know, okay in game four to not get this finals MVP. I think he's got it. I think Kevin Durant, even with the efficiency here, I don't think, I don't, I just feel like this is Steph's time. Because there has been a lot of discussion, and Steph can say he doesn't care. And talking to Tim Roy, the voice of the Warriors, talking to Dieter Kurtenbach, a guy who covers Golden State as well, they both are adamant that Steph does not care. I can't help but put myself in those shoes and think, yeah, I'd like to get this finals MVP. And he's deserving it as far as the past couple games. Of course he does. And the bigger thing is, I wonder 
if Steph keeps performing, yeah, he's going to get it. I'm wondering if we're going to get a 60-point game from LeBron just to see the voters have to decide between both of them. Because even if you get swept, like LeBron puts up another 40-piece and maybe a 60-piece here, I would like to see LeBron get finals MVP. I don't think it happens. And this is a fun debate to have because you just don't see it. We had this debate a little bit on a lesser scale when LeBron actually won it in 2016, right? Like when Golden State still had that 3-1 lead, we were talking about, well, maybe LeBron ends up getting it despite you – because know, Sean Livingston, of all people, was getting talked about in that 2016 Yeah, Livingston series. was. Yeah, I mean, he, was, he was awesome the first three, four games, and it was a guy that maybe he might get that finals MVP. But now, now you're more sure that LeBron and company aren't going to win, and now you just might think, you know, maybe you have a debate between Steph. But if Steph keeps playing like this, I don't see it. Yeah, no, Steph, yeah, Steph, has, again, Steph has to have a bad game. How how disgusting is it for LeBron that the storylines out of Golden State right now is that Steph Curry is doing a little more for his team than everybody else because he wants to win NBA Finals MVP. Meanwhile, LeBron is having to do a little more for his team because the only assists that Jordan Clarkson is getting are assists to himself in the form of traveling violations. Jordan Clarkson, I, I need I need Tyloo. Now, only eight minutes, but that, that might be eight minutes too much. Yeah, and, and at some point we need to start having the discussion of what does Ty Lue do with Rodney Hood? Because at this point, I don't want to call J.R. Smith unplayable, but we need to start having that conversation. Are, are you in? Pa- I mean, are you just in panic mode now, where you have to throw Hood out there? I'm, I'm getting to the point where you just got to see. I, you got to put him out because at least you saw 16 points per game from him in Utah. They're a little misleading, yes, but at least you saw an ability to somewhat score. And who else do you rely on to get their own shot? Probably better and you know, more efficiently than these guys. I, I Look, we're, we're in a situation where we're having to depend on Rodney Hood to come off the bench. That's where we are. But I think that's what this sit kind of situation calls for. I, I get that it's bad. And yet I'm still here to say that's what the situation calls for. You're desperate. You're desperate. You're at 0-2 and you have nothing left at this point. All right. One fun thing we're going to announce real quickly before we end today's show is we are going to do a countdown of the top 30 Charlotte Hornets of all time. So we'll reveal one per day. Do some rank radio, as Doug likes to call it. It'll be fun. I'm excited about this. Been working on it a little bit. Having trouble figuring out who makes the top 30 because I feel like it's disrespectful if I have somebody get honorable mention. That's not the same. Yeah, you got to leave Master P off the list. Yeah, we'll see. Wait, what? 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 Hold on. He's top three. He's not top 10. So we'll figure out the top 30 Charlotte Hornets of all time. And I imagine we'll be going from the inception of the Charlotte Hornets and then once the Charlotte podcast comes back. Yeah, this is in honor of their 30th anniversary this season. Sure, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to count those guys down. And uh, you guys can critique my list or praise it, whatever you want to do. Probably get to critique the list? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want you to critique it. Um, Also, another cool thing we'll have coincide with it for all you drunks out there is the best beers. Yeah. The 30 30 best beers, Charlotte. Well, yeah, I I had to get in on the fun. I want to, you were ranking the 30 best uh, Charlotte Hornets, and I want to rank the 30 best Charlotte beers. And I'm down for that, by the way. And I was looking a little bit there so I could try to critique maybe some of your list as well whether I, I liked uh I mean it's like I've had a lot of Charlotte beers but there's a lot like that I haven't and I didn't realize how many I haven't had because you just go to old reliables I want to get my beer game a little bit more versatile but so maybe this list will help everybody out so again we will have the best Hornets 30 top 30 of all time and the top 30 beers in Charlotte to this date so thanks again for joining us everyone Walker Mail Doug Branson Nada Edwards joining you once again on the Locked On Hornets podcast um, if you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together again consider joining our Patreon community so again you can go to Patreon give us some dollars here and there uh, every, again every uh, every single buck that comes to our show it goes into trying to make this a better product it does not go into paying for our Charlotte 
beers. No, it doesn't. It doesn't go into paying Wait, for Wait, there's no beer budget? <laughs> there's not a beer budget. If not they yet. want to, I'm not going to say no to that. Thanks again for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Hornets. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with you on Wednesday.